Hi, I'm Stuart Spinks and welcome to episode 93 of my podcast, Beekeeping Short and Sweet. It's been another busy week and I've been out checking up on colonies we fed last week. I've also had a question about early season colony management, so stay tuned for more chat about making a great start to the new season. Beekeeping Short and Sweet, a beekeeping podcast for the inquisitive beekeeper with a short attention span. A beekeeper, in fact, just like me. Welcome back to the podcast, and if you've only just found me, you are most welcome. And if you're a regular listener, I'm very grateful to you for sticking around. It's been another wet and windy week, super mild, and no sign of any wintry weather at all, although I do hear that next week is going to get quite cool. No temperatures uh, below zero, that's zero degrees centigrade, so uh, it's still incredibly mild for the time of year. The bees have been out flying on regular cleansing flights, and apart from a mouse in an unused nuke box, everything seems safe and secure so far, so fingers crossed. We're currently sat at around 80 colonies, a mix of full-size hives in all shapes and sizes, really. Nationals, commercials... Langstroths and some 14 by 12s, together with a similar mix of nukes in the various different sizes. We have wooden and poly hives, and I have to say, this year we seem to be doing very nicely with the poly hives. The nukes and full size hives all seem to be of a decent size and active in the mild weather. I should really carry out a count up of the two material types and give you all. A better idea of the exact mix. In fact, if I just visualise the apiaries, I could do that now, probably. Currently, we have eight lots of full-size polyhives and 12 lots of polynukes. The rest are all wood. We do have more stock of polyhives, just no bees in them as yet. I use the Maysmore Poly Commercial Hives and the Honeypaw Poly Langstroths. Both are fantastic. We've had the Maysmore polyhives longer than the honeypaws, and they're still in excellent shape. In the beginning, I did worry about how long they would hold up, and although it's been only a few years now, they're doing remarkably well. The better polyhive materials are using around 100 grams per litre of poly material in their makeup, and that certainly seems to be a substantial weight of material, giving it a nice feel of strength when you're lifting the hives. I really must do a weight comparison as well between the fully made up polyhive, minus all of the frames, foundation and bees, and the wooden ones, just to show the difference. We've been out visiting the apiaries, as I mentioned, and quite a number of the colonies have been getting stuck into the fondant that we put on last week. So much so, in fact, that we're going to have to continue feeding those colonies now until the spring flow comes in, otherwise we risk seeing them starve out. And there's only one person to blame for that, obviously. The nukes housed in the BS Honey 2-in-1 nukes have been looking very good this winter. The boxes are full of bees, and again, the poly material really seems to be helping them. That said, we've not had any real cold weather yet, so they've not really been truly tested. These nukes have certainly been the ones to gorge themselves on the fondant, however, and we're currently adding a second bag to most of these boxes. A couple of the Maysmore polyhives are 
similarly across the top bars. I posted a picture or two via Patreon and my social media feeds, Twitter and Instagram, showing what I'd term a nine-seamer. That's a colony with bees visible between 10 brood frames, which adds up to nine seams. For those colonies, I added a homemade eek with two bags of fondant directly on the top bars. The eeks are made from cheap roofing batten, simply cut and screwed together, and they're very simple to make. The trick is to keep a close eye on them in the spring, or you'll end up with a really nice 500mm square block of brace comb stuck in the eek, and that will need cutting away from the top of the brood frames and make a heck of a mess with the honey and wax going everywhere. I speak from personal experience again, of course. Last year the bees were away so fast that the brace comb seemed to appear overnight. Once they do start to build into the spring, it's important to get the eek off and another box on, but more of this in a few minutes. Checking out the other apiaries, and we currently have eight active apiaries. The bees were all looking very well and feeding quickly into the fondant. I'm using the Appy Pasta fondant from Happy Valley Honey, as usual. Plans are afoot to collaborate again this year with Paul in promoting the Appy Pasta fondant and the liquid syrup feeds. This is something I'm incredibly happy to do as I currently buy in the product to use myself as I consider it so effective. I know Paul has secured other resellers for the Appy Pasta as well, so do take a look at his website for more details until I get a confirmed list on my website and I'll also uh, talk about it on the podcast at some point. I don't currently sell it via my website, but if you're close and you want to collect some, just drop me a message via my website, and that way you can save on the inevitable carriage charges, which do cost a small fortune because of the weight. If I do set something up to distribute locally for Paul, you'll be the first to hear about it. The Polly Langstroth apiary, which I refer to as our alpaca apiary, is set up in a disused pear orchard. We cut away a strip of brambles between a row of trees and set up the colonies here. It's obviously good ground because the brambles seem to grow super fast along with the nettles and the thistles. So we're having to revisit at some point over the next few weeks to cut out again and to make a little more room for ourselves. There's nothing more frustrating than inspecting a colony only to keep getting tangled up in overgrown brambles that keep tugging at your veil. So this year we're cutting back into the next strip of trees and expanding the apiary site so we can comfortably site a dozen or more colonies here. We seem to get a nice early crop of oilseed rape most years, followed by an occasional heavy flow of clover. But more consistently, and not surprisingly, there's plenty of bramble forage for them. At this apiary, we have just the polyhives. All bar one are the honey-poor Langstroth polyhives, and the other being a maize-moor double commercial polyhive. I really need to move this hive as it's an odd hive in amongst the others and doesn't really allow for me to either assist it or use it to assist the others. And this is an important point for anyone considering which hive to go for. The commercial hive and the Langstroth hive are completely different dimensions, so a frame from the commercial won't fit the Langstroth and vice versa. This incompatibility can cause huge frustration and challenges as you get into the new active season. Imagine having the Maysmore colony suddenly go queenless in the spring, and for whatever reason they don't produce any queen cells, or perhaps I make a mistake and destroy queen cells before realising the queen has gone missing. In normal circumstances, this isn't a major problem, because you can grab a frame with a queen cell or eggs from another colony 
and put it in the hopelessly queenless colony. Remember, a hopelessly queenless colony is one that has no way of reproducing a queen. The problems start when you realise your hive frames are not compatible and one won't fit the other. There are solutions, such as cutting out a queen cell or cutting out a patch of eggs from another colony and stitching this into a frame from the queenless colony, but far easier would be to simply swap out a single frame from one to the other. This you can't do because of the incompatibility problem. So, to make life easier for yourself, if you're just starting, pick a hive type and stick with just the one type until you feel comfortable with your ability as a beekeeper and then you can start to experiment. Anyway, I must make a note to myself to move that commercial hive soon. The hillside allotments apiary looks great at the moment. The views from the apiary looking down the allotment plots and into the river valley are fantastic. For anyone listening outside the UK, an allotment is a council-owned area of land divided into small plots and rented to local residents to grow fruit and veg on. Very popular here in the UK, and they usually have a waiting list. At this apiary, we have a split site, and I call it Hillside 1 and Hillside 2. Not very original, but it's easy to identify. Hillside 1 currently has all wooden commercial colonies, with a couple on double brood. A quick mental count-up, and I think there's nine or ten colonies here. On Hillside 2, we have a mix of commercial and national hives, and also nukes. Here, at Hillside 2, we've set up the block and post hive stands, which are working really well. At our university apiary, we have a mix of hive materials, both wood and poly, but they're all commercial beehives. Just to explain to anyone listening for the first time, the name commercial refers to the size and design of the hive, not that they are used solely for or by commercial beekeepers. They're the same size footprint as the national beehive, but don't have the recessed sides, and so take bigger frames. Anyway, the hives at this site are doing really nicely. A couple of slightly smaller colonies, but again, the polyhive, which is a maze more commercial, is very large and active. Most are getting stuck into the fondant that we placed on them, and as I mentioned earlier, I think we'll have to continue feeding now on some of them until the spring forage is available. Not long now, though. Our fishing lakes apiaries, tucked nicely away among the trees, but in wide open patches of grass and wild plants, are doing really well too. The 14 by 12s that we acquired late last season are a mixed bunch, a couple of strong colonies, but also a few smaller clusters. It'll be interesting to see how they progress and develop into the spring, as I don't know these bees as I know my own. What I have found with a lot of smaller clusters of bees at this time of the year is that they explode with growth in the spring and can often outperform what appear to be giant colonies earlier in the season. We have three apiaries at the fishing lakes. One will be used for queen rearing, that's number two apiary. Another one, number three, will become our drone donor apiary, and I'll talk more about the importance of drones in open mating sites in the coming weeks, certainly before we get into the serious queen rearing. The third apiary site is the very first apiary site that we were able to use here at the lakes, and we'll be using this site as the nuke nursery. It's currently home to the 14 by 12s but I'm about to take a look at some new sites for additional apiaries. So fingers crossed that these will become available to me in early spring and we can move the 14 by 12s out to one of those sites. The only other site to mention is my allotment apiary. 
poor thing that it is right now. Overgrown with weeds and brambles, the netting and posts have been blown down by the recent winds and it looks terribly neglected. So I have quite a bit of work to do here. Sat all alone on a hive stand is our chronic bee paralysis virus colony from 2018. Chronic bee paralysis virus devastated this particular colony in the summer of 2018 and I've documented the journey this colony has been on with several videos and I've discussed their plight before on the podcast. Well, they're still alive and remarkably seem to be hanging on in the nuke box. They still have their original yellow dot queen. She's now around four years old. I say that they still have her. That was in October when I last took a look. And if their appetite for the fondant is anything to go by, they might even have shaken off the virus. They've had three bags of fondant so far, those being the one kilo Apipasta bags. And in October, they were a fairly small cluster that I didn't really give much chance of surviving. However, they've proven me wrong so far, and we'll see how they get on over the next six to eight weeks. I'm going to have to move them out for a short time in order to repair and clean the apiary. But with little activity right now, at least little activity compared to spring or summer, we should be okay hiding them in a corner of another apiary for a few days while we sort the allotment site. In the introduction, I mentioned I've had a question regarding early season colony management. It was sent in via a Patreon page from Fran Barham, who's having to leave her bees for a couple of weeks in March and wants to know what steps to take to prevent early swarming and the impact that that will have on her season. Fran's question is this. I will be going away at the beginning of March for nearly two weeks. What would be the belt and braces action list for me to ensure that while I'm away, I don't get the sort of chaotic mess that a lot of us experienced, and for me in particular? The hot weather really caught me out in March, and my bees swarmed all over the place. I was very lucky to capture most of the swarms and manage it all, but what are the best precautions I can take to protect the hives and ensure they thrive during the early part of spring? Well, hi, Fran, and thanks for the question, and I'm sure there are many beekeepers out there wondering exactly the same thing. How can I prevent last year's problems? The question of swarm prevention, particularly early season swarming, comes up regularly. And as you say, last year for many beekeepers here in the UK was a very early start. This issue is going to be hugely weather dependent. If we find the weather turning cold and wet get some snow and ice. I don't think you'll have any worries at all for the first couple of weeks of March. It is, obviously, still very early in the season. That said, if this mild weather continues, we could see a repeat of last year and very early swarms indeed. Is this one of those micro-effects of climate change? I don't know, but it certainly feels like we've been getting some very strange fluctuations in weather patterns recently. Remember, just a couple of years ago, we had the beast from the east giving us a very late start to the season and colonies that had starved out due to the prolonged cold snap. But let's assume firstly that the weather is going to be what we would anticipate as being normal. Chilly mornings, gently warming days, turning into freezing overnight temperatures with frosts on the ground. I don't think you'll have any worries about early swarming under these conditions. The bees will know that they take a huge risk swarming from the safety of a colony only to have to survive freezing overnight lows. Now let's think about a repeat of the beast from the east scenario. This is an easy one to deal with. Pop a couple of kilos of fondant on them, shut them down, and they'll be fine. 
the bees will cluster tightly and sit out the cold, everything will slow down and they won't want to be popping their heads out of the entrance, let alone swarm. Now we come on to the tricky one, a warm late winter and early spring. I looked back at my records for last year and the first evidence of swarming that I found was the 29th of March when I found queen cells being capped off. I found colonies with active swarm cells on the 18th of April and collected my first swarm on the 20th of April. I too got caught out. So things you could do if, and it's a big if, but if the weather conditions turn super warm and we look like we're going to have another year like last year. First of all, inspect before you go away and check for queen cells and drones. The two go hand in hand. No self-respecting colony is going to waste time and energy producing queen cells if there aren't any drones for the virgin queens to mate with. If you don't find any queen cells, ask yourself, has the colony got enough room? If the brood box is bursting with bees and they looked cramped, the chances are they won't wait for you to sort it out. It's probably already too late. If you have some room, and by that I mean specifically, does the queen have space to lay eggs? If you have room, but the colony is building fast, add another brood box, not a super. Don't add a queen excluder and let the queen wander up into the new brood box. If you don't have another brood box, then add a super. But again, not the queen excluder. You don't want to restrict the egg-laying potential of the queen. If you find queen cells, don't panic. Here's where you need to make a decision. You could knock down all of the queen cells and give them more room. This may cause them to stop queen cell production. In my experience though, once they start, they're likely to keep going for at least a few weeks and this would lead to your worst case scenario of returning just after they've swarmed. Better to create an artificial swarm and make them think that they've already swarmed. It's an easy process and one that I've posted videos and podcasts on before. I also have a PDF step-by-step -step guide on the Patreon page for the artificial swarm process and Fran, I'll send you a direct copy. If you follow the artificial swarm steps properly, they won't be able to swarm and you can complete the process when you return. All of that said, I'm going to stick my neck out now and say I don't think you'll have to worry about swarming in the first couple of weeks of March. April may be, but not in March. And of course, as I said at the start, it's hugely weather dependent. So unless we have a very mild February and first couple of weeks of March, I don't think you're going to encounter a problem. I hope that helps calm your worries, Fran. But if you want to cover anything off, just drop me a message and we can have a chat about it. Well, that's it for this week. Thanks for all your comments and support. If you're not yet familiar with Patreon, do catch up with more of my beekeeping journey by checking out the list of content on my creator page, www.patreon.com forward slash Norfolk Honey. Have a great week and thanks for hanging around until the end of the podcast. I'm Stuart Spinks and that was beekeeping short and sweet. Music